Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 102nd edition of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast, where I, your host, Mac B. the Wolf, are taking you on a journey of an American expat's life in London and in Europe after spending almost all his life in America. An Anglophile who loves English music and bands from the UK finally got the opportunity to live over here and can explore more of them, whether the bands he loved growing up or exploring new ones that he did not know before. Not unlike Gentle Giant, who was the subject of our 101st episode, and I hope you got to tune in to hear that one, as we were joined by the lovely Autumn Hawk Percival, who is a multi-instrumentalist, a singer, a songwriter, and just an all-around proc geek. Right? Loves prog rock, despite the fact that she's an attractive young woman from Southern California. Uh, And we had a great time speaking with her. We will definitely want to have her on again. And you're going to want to pick up her album, which I think was supposed to come out in late November, early December. But she did sign with a record company, so I'm I'm hearing that that's now maybe early February, something like that. But you can check out at the Hawk Percival on Twitter to learn a little bit more about her. She is more active on Instagram, so you may want to check her out there as well. But we're ditching the prog for a little while here. Nothing wrong with prog, but we're kind of going back to our hard rock roots and to a band that Jackson and I both love, uh, and that's the Cult. The Cult are out of the UK. They've been doing this for about 40 years now. It's Billy Duffy on guitar and Ian Asbury on lead vocals uh, with a host of other characters who we'll talk about a little bit more on the show. But they hadn't made a record in about eight years, right? In the last 20 years, they've only made about four, three, something like that records. But the new one's called Under the Midnight Sun which is named after a a festival they were part of, I think in Finland, somewhere in Scandinavia at least, back in the 80s, and like playing in the middle of the night, yet the sun is up, created an interesting atmosphere, and that's why they called this record Under the Midnight Sun. It's not a real long one. It's only a little over 35 minutes, but I respect them for that. Don't go out and make an hour-long record with a bunch of filler on it. Just make songs that are good, that are tight, that you want to put out there. And let the public decide what they like. And I think you'll hear that we, we, we like this one. We're just glad that there's new cult music after so long. There hasn't been a ton of it the last 25 years. So we're happy that they're still doing it. They're still working together. They're still making music that sounds like the cult. And so we're going to talk about that here today. 
Now, as usual, we need to take care of a little bit of business. First up, we have to thank our incredible sponsors, RareVinyl.com. I know a lot of you are record collectors out there, and if you want like a Dreamtime or a Cult Love first print edition, or maybe you want some of the rare EPs and singles that they've released over the years, then go to RareVinyl.com, check out what they've got, and then use code PODCAST, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, to get 10% off not only your first purchase, but every purchase you make with them over the years. They have a quarter of a million items in stock. They ship all around the world. They've been doing this 40 years. They have an amazing team. I've been to their warehouse. I've met their team, and they're all awesome. They take great care of the records they get in there. So whatever you're looking for, go to RareVinyl.com or EIL.com. Use the code PODCAST, save 10% off each and every purchase that you make. And of course, our listeners know that we are a part of the Pantheon podcast family, a network of about 100 podcasts, all music-related for the most part, and there's something in there for everybody. It's not just rock and roll like we love, but because of Pantheon, we were able to sponsor the Nick Mason Saucer Full of Secrets tour recently, which was a dream come true, really, for me and Jackson. We got to go to a show. We got to interview Guy Pratt and Gary Kemp on our show. Got to interview a contest winner who won front row seats to see Nick. Uh, and you can check all those shows out wherever you get your podcast. We need you to download, subscribe wherever you get them. Consider giving us a positive review if you like. But we got to give shout outs to our brothers and sisters on Pantheon, like Jay Scott at The Hook Rocks. Like Christy Alexander Hallberg at Rock is Lit. Like the Kiss Kings, Tom and Zeus at Shout It Out Loudcast. And we hope to be able to talk to those guys here real soon. But a special thanks to Mr. Paul Stevenson of Vintage Rock Pod and This Day Rocks. Because once again, I found myself in a bit of a bind with some bad audio and needed my audio engineer pal from Scotland, Paul, to bail me out once again. And so, Paul, I thank you kindly. Could not have done this one without you. And we enjoyed this one, right? We were happy to have a new Colt album to review. Probably Jackson's favorite band of all time. A band we listened to a lot when we lived together over 30 years ago. And a band that's still delivering, right? They have a signature, riffy, hard rock sound with otherworldly kind of lyrics by Ian Asbury. And when you hear the cult, you know it. And although this album does kind of take them in some different directions, I think it's very obviously a cult album. And those people who enjoy the cult's back catalog are going to enjoy this one. So strap in, guys. We're going to do a tune-by-tune review of Under the Midnight Sun, the new album by the cult, right here on The Wolf. So, Chloe Thurman can hear me all right. Then we'll get into an album that as soon as I saw it was coming out, I knew we were going to have to review, Jackson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I knew that as soon as The Cult, your all-time favorite band, and one of my very favorites, was putting out their 11th album this fall, after doing a tour of the UK with Alice Cooper, I'm like, all right, cool. New Cult music. Nice. It has been, what, eight years since Hidden City came out, something like I that? I think so, yeah. Yeah. It's it's been, It's been a minute. They did a nice job of teasing it they would have it, it, because it's the it's the circle and then it's the snake mm-hmm. and so they would have like i guess people paint it on different places and it would just say coming soon or yeah and that was it and so everybody started freaking out because yeah it's time for a new record i'm really glad they're still doing this because 
it really seems to me like at this point in time, I mean, they've been doing this for what, 40, coming up on 40 years. About 40 years, yeah. Yeah. If you still want to be a band and you're around after 40 years and you're not making new music, you're just a nostalgia act. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I think that it just, it, for me, if you're making new records, it propels you forward. You're, you still have that itch. You still have the the creative spark in you to make a new record. Yeah, and I, I also understand the other side of it. I understand why bands don't want to make new music because it's it can still be expensive if you're going to go to a proper studio and have a good producer and all that right. kind of stuff. It still doesn't sell very well, and you're not going to get the teenagers to buy your stuff. It, it's They're selling it to us. They're selling it to life fans they're counting on their fans buying at least and i don't know what the number is is it twenty thousand? is it a hundred thousand fifty thousand whatever it is they're kind of counting on people like you and me who have loved the cult who will go see them live to go out and buy the record if they're going to mm -hmm. make money off it now i'm with you if you're going to be an artist and you're going to continue to go yes you need to continue to stretch. You need to continue to put some new stuff out. And I, I also get the, the kind of dichotomy of you want to be an artist and stretch what you're doing, but it also has to sound like whatever your sound is. And that's, that can be a big challenge as well. Right. Right. Because it's the, it's the age old question of you could just make another record that sounds like everything else. That would be mm -hmm. very easy. And then it's either, you know, it, it's great because it's new music from a band that you love and you're familiar with it, but then you're terrible because you can't do anything else. So you're right. stuck kind of in that middle thing of, I want to stretch and grow, but I don't want to, I don't want to alienate anyone. And I think, I think that this band has done a good job of kind of defying any kind of genre mm. and pushing themselves to do different things. Now it is easier because you do have independent labels now and you can, you know, if you, if you took this to, you know, Warner brothers or Sony or whatever, they'd say, yeah, no thanks. Right. Because they, they have to, they have to have hot, fresh new stuff. And this would probably never have gotten made. So I'm glad we're living in a time where this can get done. Yeah, absolutely. Good point there. Cause I want to hear these bands continue to make new music. And I was kind of surprised when I said that the Colt will be releasing their 11th album this fall. I'm like, have they really only made 11 albums? Is that it? In 40 years, they've only made 11 albums because, you know, they, as was typical of the time, you know, the first one came out in the summer of 84, Love came out at 85, Electric 87, Sonic Temple 89, Ceremony 91. So that's, you know, it's like every couple of years, 18 months to two years. So yeah. in the first seven or eight years, they made their first five records, which are the five I would say they're best known for, certainly the ones that sold the best mm -hmm. over the years sold the best in England, sold the best in America. And I didn't realize they were so big in Canada when they were still only doing gold and silver in, in the U.S. and the U.K. respectively. They were already doing like double platinum work in Canada. And then they would, as we've talked about on our previous episodes, because we did a love episode, we did a Sonic Temple episode, and we also have talked about them when you got to see them live this spring in Orlando. Mm. They've done a lot of EPs. And it's if you want to be a cult completist, it's actually kind of hard to do because they've released EPs in the UK. They've released EPs in Canada only. They've released EPs in Australia, I think. And trying to gather all those up or even just hear all the songs, it's not always easy. Right. But it is it is very nice when you think you've got everything and then you come across something new. Ooh, what is this? Look what I found. Um, right, exactly. They they do a lot of they do a lot of mixes. They do a lot of, of alternate versions yes. uh, of their songs. So yeah, I think they're always kind of 
trying to move forward. And I don't know who's, I think it was, it was definitely on Shout Out Loud, but they were talking about the the Howie Mandel interview with both Paul and then Gene. They were different, but they were comparing and contrasting. Mm-hmm. And one thing they were bringing up was Paul Stanley talking about how he's really kind of hesitant to put out new music because it's going to get compared to the old stuff. Right. And it, it, that was their opinion. And I would kind of, I would second that. And it is hard. I mean, you've got, songs that you know people will flip out to you know yeah. that they'll love them it's easy you put something new out not everybody's gonna love it and you have to you have to be ready for that you have to be ready to people say oh this isn't as good as well i know it's not it doesn't sound the same it's something different but it's something new they still enjoy working together they've they hit a rough spot we were very we were at ground zero for we that. were right there yeah <laughs> they found a way to to work together They've put out since that time. They've put out five or six records right. since the the incident, and so it, it's great to me to hear them to continue, hear them continuing. And I mean, as soon as they come back around from this, I'm I'm back in. I'll see them next week. Yeah, I know. Schedule I, a show, and I would do the same thing. I was happy to see them in London, kind of celebrate the 30th anniversary of Sonic Temple, which may not be my favorite necessarily mm-hmm. of theirs, but it was certainly the biggest. Uh, it's the one they really got them on the map big time in America. I think Guns N' Roses were opening for them at the start of that tour. <laughs> I think you're right. And then eventually they were that. opening for Guns N' Roses. Right. I also think they opened for Metallica, maybe on the Black Album huh. tour a little bit. Maybe. Uh, I mean, I, a lot of people may have. That was like a three-year tour. You know? <laughs> of course, when we saw Metallica, they did not have an opening act, so they just played for an extra 45 minutes or something, just exhausting us all there. But no, I mean... Yeah, Dreamtime in 84, Love, my favorite in 85 at the big She Sells Sanctuary on it. Electric, uh, big in 86, more of a rocking thing. Mm. Sonic Temple, the big kind of arena rock, you know, big riffs, some big hits, certainly the biggest in America. Ceremony, I guess you'd have to say, was a little bit of a disappointment in 91. Kind of a kind of a misfire, I think. I think that was the and that was rough because that was during the whole Nirvana time. So any mm. anybody that even had kind of the stink of hair metal on them was kind of thrown to the side, and it was it was literally overnight. And right. I think that they it, they kind of got caught up in that, and so I, it, that was that was unfortunate. I agree with you there, but then of course. They, and maybe the record company, kind of encouraged them to change their sound, maybe dirty it up a little bit, maybe Mm -hmm. be something else. So then they have the self-titled The Cult come out in 94 with, what is that, a goat or a sheep or a something on the front of it? Something. Some kind of barnyard animal, yeah, with horns and stuff. And I don't like that. I didn't like it when it came out, and I still don't much like it now. And obviously, as you alluded to, which we've spoken on this show about before, you and I were on the way to go see them on that tour in Orlando. Like we were in the car. Correct. Going to get dinner before the show when the radio came on and told us that the the tour was, well, the show was canceled. That's what we learned that night. Within a day or two, we learned that the band had broken up and they were going to rehab. Right. Somebody was sick, I think, quote unquote. Right. Uh, and so the show was canceled. And then, yeah, we're like, oh, okay, well, then they'll just reschedule for never because they're broken never. up. Yep. <laughs> and that's it. And like yeah, the cult like ceased to exist for a few years there. Like if you go on their timeline on Wikipedia or something like that, you know, how it'll be like, you know, the Rolling Stones have been around from 1962 to, to 2022. It's like, well, they were around from 1983 
1996, and then they stopped, you know, and then from 99 to 2002, they were back. And then from 2006, to, which to me is annoying. It's like, just because you're not a touring entity, or the band still basically exists, you know, whether they want to tell you it does or not. I mean, you know, you don't have to put out records or tour to still be an existing band, in my opinion, but that's just me, I guess. Right. And then I remember, I may have told the story before, but I'm telling it again. I don't care. There was a guy on the radio back in the in the late 90s, and he was, this was kind of like when the internet was kind of just starting. So he mm-hmm. was like, oh, you know, send me an email about anything that you want to know about bands. So I was like, you know what? Okay, tough guy. But, you know, and, and I'll tell you where they're touring or what, you know, what the status is. So I, I said something about the cult. And this was probably in 98 or 99. And he, the guy, he came right back and he was like, as a matter of fact, they have a show scheduled at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City. I'm like, what? Okay. I'm in. So I went to go see that. And they called it the Cult Rising, and it was it was basically I think it was probably the set from Sonic Temple, and it was like, does anybody still care? We're gonna do some club tours and see, yeah. and it was packed. And I think they said, well, now wait a minute, I think we still do have an audience. There is a there is a built in fan base that wants to hear us again, and that kind of launched their resurgence. They did Beyond Good and Evil in what was that two thousand or two thousand one? I think I it was two thousand one. Yeah. Right. And that wasn't bad. And that wasn't no. bad. Correct. Correct. And actually, you were, you were, we'll get into this a little bit later, but before they put out that cult record, this was probably 92, it was after Ceremony, but before the cult, they put out one track for that cool world. Right. It was called The Witch. And when I heard it, I was like, I don't like this at all. This <laughs> is weird. It doesn't sound like them. I don't like this. But then after a while, it started to grow on me. And I said, well, it's not like anything they've ever done before, but this track is pretty good. And so from there to me, it was kind of like, we can do whatever we want now because they kind of put out like it was like an acid, rocky, trippy mm-hmm. deal. I, I really liked it. And and it will come up again on this record. But I, that to me, that was their statement of we're 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 going to do our own thing now. And either you like it or you don't, but we're not getting pigeonholed. Well, the thing that really lit us up was that they released the Pure Cult for Rockers, Ravers, Lovers, and Sinners, a best of package. Yes. And that's where the witch, I think that's where we first heard the witch because you looked at it like, I don't know what this witch song is. We're listening to this right now. Like, like, <laughs> like we know what, we'll play the rest in a minute, dude. But, you know, I, because I, I just, I'm like, well, let's just play the whole record. It's like, no, let me yeah. hear the one that I don't know what it is. <laughs> and then we realized it was from Cool World, uh, which was what it was semi animated, right? It was, yeah, it was, yeah. You know, Bob Hoskins, if I'm not mistaken, and maybe a Brad Pitt as a young I think, man. Yeah, I think he was in it, yeah. Jessica Rabbit, I think, was the real star as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I got a thing for those voluptuous redheads. It goes back to my <laughs> Gilligan's Island days, I guess. <laughs> Anywho, and honestly, that's still, to me, it's still like the the best best of they've ever done, right? I mean, it, they did, a, I, mean, I think, a couple of things. After, they did a best of Rare Cult, which is kind of the best of a box set. Mm-hmm. Um, of of a lot of EP stuff and B sides and remixes and stuff like that, but what was fascinating for me to learn because we always do research when we do a when we do a record. They really and also in that at least in the version that that I got of the Pure Cult, they had disc one of the Cult live in London, right? Like live at the Marquee, and then you mm-hmm. can send off for the second one, which I don't think I ever did. Eventually, I just kind of bought the two CD 
set. But what's interesting to me is that's the last real live album that the cult put out was the cult live in London 1991. Okay. Yeah. Kind that, of shocking to me, to be honest, because it, it, especially yeah. this day and age, right? Because they, the bands at this age, they tour and then, okay, well, then we're going to put out a live album. I think they've done a couple of DVDs, but that's not the same as a live record. And it's interesting too, because when I went to go see them at the in Orlando, I was I got there real early because I knew it was it was going to be general admission, so I didn't want to get stuck in the back. But mm -hmm. I was there so early, like, there was really nobody else there, so I kind of was just you know checking out the whole venue. And I looked at the sound guide. He kind of looked at me, and I looked at him, and he had a he had a Colt hoodie on. Okay. So I said, hey, "Is this their guy? Because they're no I think they're notorious for the sound. <laughs> so it's interesting that if they would bring their own sound guy, that they would not record something live. Because that was a that was a good show. It sounded good. I, I don't know why they would not have something live put out other than that. Yeah. So I mean, looking at this, they did put out a DVD after that Beyond Good and Evil tour. Music Without Fear, live from the Grand Olympic in Los Angeles. That comes out in November 2002. They also do live at the Fillmore from New York in November 2006. That comes out in 2007, I assume, on the back of the uh, the Born Into This. Well, no, no, it wouldn't have been, though, if it was because Born Into This was released October 2007. And mm. if this live album or this live DVD, I should say, is recorded in October two, uh, 2006, well, then that's not, you know. Interesting. Yeah, that's a, because that's a couple of years after Beyond Good and Evil. Yeah. So, I mean, it would, it would, it would I wouldn't say, I'm not saying it had the same set list, but I will say they didn't make any new records between those two DVDs, right? So, right. yeah. So, to me, it, it's first of all, it's shocking they didn't put out a big, like, the Sonic Temple live kind of thing since that was the big one you know right i know that we did get on the 30th anniversary of sonic temple we did get you know some live tracks from that era and that's great but it just shocks me most bands especially once you're kind of a legacy act and they kind of were once they got into the 2000s anytime you do a big tour generally speaking you put out some kind of a live album afterwards yeah they put out a couple dvds but if you really haven't put out anything a pure live album in 30 years I tell you, it's time, boys. It's it's time. And it'd be cool if they did like a rush different stages. So like they did stuff from today, but then they also mixed it in with stuff from like the 80s or the early 90s. Right. Yeah. That, that And I don't know what this, I'd have to go and look what the set list looks like now as far as playing the new stuff and then playing the, the older tracks. But yeah, that would be cool because the, the different stages was a really nice retrospective of everything that Rush had done. Yeah, you know, and it's like, so it, it captured stuff from the Test for Echo tour, which was kind of the what they were looking to capture, but they also kind of went back to like Farewell to King's time, which they did not have a live album, at least not dedicated to that tour. You right. got part of it in Exit Stage left. But so the Colt, yes, they, they famously kind of disbanded after their sixth record in 1995, 1994, 1995. And then they got back together to do Beyond Good and Evil, Six years later, they did Born Into This, and I did not like that one. I did see them on that tour, but I did not care for the record much. I didn't care for the artwork. Mm. I didn't think that that was very good, to be honest with you. Then five years later, they do Choice of Weapon, and I did think that was good. I thought that was a step in the right direction, like, okay. And they may have, they had, either they had Rick Rubin or they had, they had one of their old producers come back and, and help them out with that. You know, it may have been Rick Rubin. 
Let me see. I guess uh, I can... actually this says this says Bob Rock. Ah, that's what. I, okay, so Bob Rock. Yeah. I, I knew it was one of the big ones. <laughs> yeah, uh, and Bob Rock certainly qualifies on that score. So I thought that was really good, uh, and I think that helped them say, "All right, well then we can do Hidden City." And again, they got Bob Rock for that, and I thought that was good. I didn't know if I liked it as much as Choice of Weapon, but you know, still, I'm like, okay, they can still do this, right? They they haven't given up. They still have talent they still have some drive mm. they're not just cashing their old checks and i think she sells sanctuary alone pays them enough for them to eat <laughs> you know but i mean like yeah keep making music so hidden city was number 10 in 2016 and then we hadn't heard from them this is i believe the longest hiatus they've ever had between albums and that includes between breakup album the cult 94 all the way to beyond good and evil in 2001 right well and then you got to figure too you had COVID in there which was uh, fun for everyone and then they were on that 30th anniversary sonic temple tour which the uh, the show that i saw in orlando i think was kind of the tail end of that that might have been something that was put off for a while because okay they only had they only of the of the tracks, only I think three of them were not from Sonic Temple. I mean, they pretty much played the entire album. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. And that's cool. And you know, and, and they didn't play all of Sonic Temple when I saw them, but mm-hmm. because like I, I saw them do electric, you know, like anniversary tour. They come out and do electric in order in its entirety. They take a break and then they come out and do some hits. I think they did the same thing for love before that. But so I think now they've kind of done the nostalgia thing, right? They've done right. love, they've done electric, they've They've paid homage to Sonic Temple. So now it's like, if, if we're really going to keep going on, even though the fans really just want to hear the old stuff, we've got to do some new some new stuff. And I think this album treads that line pretty well of sounding like the cult, sounding like their old stuff, but still kind of pushing forward. What do you think right. about that? I, I would say the same thing too. If If you're looking for like a hard, straight ahead rock record, this is not it. This is more... It's more ethereal. It's more Ian's not he's not screaming like he used to. Right. But I think but I think it works. And I also think it's it's what they want to do right now. And so go for it. Yeah. And I feel like they have grown up as we have grown up. When we were in college, we didn't listen to prog rock. We didn't listen to stuff with a lot of keyboards and mm-hmm. you know, ethereal stuff. We we listen to crunch, crunch, hard riffs, that kind of stuff, you know. <laughs> And that's part of why we like the cult, because that is what right. they were kind of doing. Although they always had this kind of moody piece to it, right? They, mm-hmm. they were they were goth rock. And to me, they were goth rock for guys or straight guys, yeah. whereas The Cure <laughs> was goth rock for girls and gay guys. <laughs> that's just the way I looked at it. You know, but the, the, the cult were cool. And then, of course, they kind of somewhat crossed over during Sonic Temple to just being, you know, hard rock gods kind of thing. Mm even though right. they still used arrangements and stuff like ED with strings and stuff like that. But no, it, it's like they've evolved too. And Ian's not trying to be Jim Morris. He's not trying to scream it out, but he still has these otherworldly lyrics that aren't just about stuff you see on the street corner. It's about the spiritual side of life and, and you know, kind of heavier meaning stuff. And Billy still puts out these great textures, got some good riffs, but a lot of it's texture, and he's not trying to be Jimmy Page with these wailing solos anymore. He's really just kind of, it's, it's almost like alternative music from the 80s, like Smith's R.E.M., in that there aren't a lot of huge guitar solos in it. Right. And and that's, if, if you were looking for kind of the, the downer on this one, for me, that's what it was. Because you want to hear him just 
rip it out because you know that's it's kind of waiting in the wings he does have some good stuff i i like the a lot of the riffs that he plays down but yeah mm-hmm. there, we're missing that one just come on just give it to me just rip it up and out but no it, 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 like i said this is what they want to do now i can't wait to see this live when they come back around right and so uh i'm 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 glad that they i'm glad that they're doing what they want to do and without any kind of record company constraints, they're on something called, I think, Black Hill Records, mm-hmm. um, which I'm I'm guessing either, I don't know if they own part of it or whatever, but I'm guessing they're just like, do whatever you want to do. That's cool. Let me know when it's done. Yeah. And they didn't overdo it. I mean, like, look at Hidden City. It's like 52 minutes or something like that long. And I know Choice of Weapon was, you know, because that's what you do. You know, you've got a CD. All right, we'll try to fill it. You know, the, you know, it was a 41 minutes, but there was a deluxe edition, which got it up to an hour. This is like 35 minutes, okay? They're mm-hmm. they're not just throwing in junk. They're not stretching out songs for the sake of trying to get it up to 42 or 50 or 60 or however many minutes. Eight songs, 35 minutes. They come in, they lay it down, and they get it done. Now, sometimes, and I'll point it out here, I feel like they maybe didn't even finish the songs. They just <laughs> kind of end. <laughs> They just fade out. Yeah, well, they th- but they don't even fade out. They just kind of stop. And that's kind of weird to be. I'm going to point that out in a couple places. All right. Hi, I'm Paul Stevenson from Vintage Rock Pod, and you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London. Before we get into that, to fill out the band, I mean, for so long they've had, it's just been Billy and Ian. They, you know, Jamie was there for the first, what, four or five albums. Uh, and then he's like, nah, I'm going to be a, a citizen. They had Matt Sorum, who's probably most famous for being in Guns N' Roses and Velvet Revolver, mm-hmm. but he's not with them anymore. John Tempesta has been on the drums for them for a while, and he's very good, and you've seen him play with them. Right. And his brother, I think, is is the guy from uh, Power Band 5000. The guy who I think sticks out well on this is Charlie Jones on the bass. And we have seen Charlie Jones play together because he played with Jimmy Page and Robert Plant on their oh, albums okay. in the 90s, okay. you know, and laid some stuff down when he was doing, Robert did his stuff with Alison Cross. So he is very good. And I guess now this is his touring gig. Like this is, he's part of the touring band now. And I think that's a big deal. I always thought that that was kind of their Achilles heel also, that they could never keep the rhythm section. Now, Jamie, he doesn't... <sighs> I can, if you don't want to do it anymore, you don't want to do it anymore. That's fine. He was there from the beginning. He brought right. it up to Sonic Temple and just said, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I think the Sonic Temple tour for him kind of killed him because it was so big, so long. I, he's got a family. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't know what he does now. I think he was doing like computer software or something like not rock and roll, but I right. mean, making a living for himself. Yeah. So that's fine. But then after that, when you keep swapping these guys in and out, that means there's something wrong with the band. There's something that you just can't get everybody together on the same page. So now I think, what was it? Tempest has been there since 2006. Damon right. Fox, who's the, who's kind of the utility infielder. Yeah. He does the, he does the keyboards. He does the, uh, the uh, rhythm guitar. Right. He's been there since 2015. And then Charlie Jones is on. So it seems like they kind of have a solid band now. Right. And hopefully they can continue that. Exactly. They, they can kind of keep them together. I think David Fox is, is, played with some real heavy hitters over the mm-hmm. years, you know, and pe- people like Christina Aguilera, not necessarily rock people, but people who sell records and do big, <laughs> big shows. But yeah, I mean, look, Billy and Ian, between some of their personality things and some of the substance things <laughs> that are pretty well documented. <laughs> yeah. And it's not like you get to own a piece of the cult. It's not like they're going to co-write songs with you. 
you know, you, you just have to take the paycheck and, and you right. know, deal with it. And some people are up for that. Some people aren't. But if they're in good health now and look, Billy looks like maybe he's gained some weight here from okay. seeing him on Instagram. However, it's not hurting him in the ladies department because he showed himself like on the beach in Mexico with his woman right in front of him. Yeah. Holy man. mackerel, dude. He must have 35, 40 years on his girlfriend. And I don't have a problem with that at all. As long as he <laughs> continues to keep us informed of her on Instagram. Thank you, Billy. If you, uh, yeah, if you follow him, he, it looks like his life does not suck in any way, shape or form. He lives in Southern California. He's always driving his motorcycles around, yep. just having a great time. So good for him. Definitely somebody who's earned it, you know, put the time in, built the band you know, been through the lean years, kind of back up on top now with, you know, in his own world. So yeah, good for him. Yeah. And yes, that was an excellent picture that he posted. Excellent picture, Billy. Thank you so much. And to <laughs> quote Matt Sorum, all Billy ever really cared about was playing his guitar and getting laid. And it seems like that's still exactly all check he's doing. and check. Yep. Yep. God bless him. <laughs> God bless him. All right. So um, I don't know. What'd you think about the cover here, Jackson? It's interesting. As I've mentioned before, I don't like when they just use a picture of the band. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's, and it kind of fits in, you know, it's under the midnight sun. I guess that came from some performance back in the eighties when they were in Finland and they literally performed at like four o'clock in the morning under the sun and and because the sun never like, sets it you know correct. in the middle of summer there right right they're like it's four in the morning the sun is out people are having fun at this festival this is like a really cool like you don't unless you live there and experience that like you wouldn't ever you could get never understand how, that yeah. right yeah exactly how people live with that so it's kind of cool so you got the sun you got i don't know what the snake's all about i don't know are we doing all right but it, it's it's cool because it's kind of like you can kind of stare at it for a while and think about what's going on with it it's not right in your face so i like it and and then you know you kind of get into the album from there yeah and it, it it's kind of simple right it's start right. black the half gold sun on the mm -hmm. top there and yes this little red stake and I, I feel like there's some temptation in here, I feel like they talk about Jesus at some point in here, but you know, Ian's lyrics can be tough to interpret sometimes. Right, right, and and I think it, it was part of it too. You know, you're having this almost like this pagan festival under the sun at night. Yeah, I mean, who knows? And and what I liked too was the fact that the snake was, like I said before, when they were kind of teasing the record, was all over the place. Like they had it painted on different things, so. Mm -hmm it kind of tied everything together. And so when it was on the cover, you say, okay, I've seen this before. Yeah. Now the, the first time I heard the phrase midnight sun was from our friends, the outfield, you know, I'm walking in the midnight sun once again. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. Now I know why love is so I should not sing on this show. <laughs> Maybe we can have the guys on the outfield on, but I should not sing on the show. But I know that has nothing to do with it. You're right. It's exactly what you talked about, them playing in Finland under the midnight sun back in the day. And I guess they held on to that for a long time, right? Because it's not like they it was the title of their next album or their sonic temple wasn't called that right and they waited that would 35 years to do it or something like that that would be an interesting question to ask them yeah like you said it wasn't this wasn't last year even five years ago it was yeah you were you were you thought this in 1986 like wow this is a really cool experience i'm glad we're having this under the midnight sun did it just occur to you like hey remember that or have you been holding on to it, waiting for the right time to throw it out? Because, I mean, it would have been a cool record title. Even Great turn of phrase. Yeah. 86. Mm -hmm. 
So, you know, 87, 88, something like that. So, yeah, I don't know why. Well, I don't know. In 87, they had, they had what? They, what was it? it was, they were going to call it peace, and then they call it electric. And Correct. Could have called it under the midnight sun if they'd wanted to. Mm-hmm. They just chose not to. Let's get into it here. All right. They kick it off with Mirror, which is actually the second single. They do have a kind of a bit of a video out about it. Starts with Billy holding some, holding some notes and a driving beat to start this. I like the lyrics, you know, vision of you suspended in a fever dream. Very Ian, very mm-hmm. cold, you know, <laughs> but not too fast paced. I mean, just a little north of mid tempo. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was kind of a, it, it, it sets the tone for the rest of the record. It's not real fast. So you, you know what you're getting into right off the bat. Uh, yeah. I like it. There's no solo in it. Mm-hmm. Which, again, I, it's not that I hate, I'm just disappointed, but it kind of, it kind of breaks down in the middle and then it kind of comes back at the end. Yeah, no, I like it. It's a, it, but it's not, it's not what you're used to from them. Well, yeah, it, it's a good song. They kind of have that driving beat to start. Then they go into the verse. In the chorus, it's back to that pounding drums. Yeah, driving beat, mirrors reflection, hallucination. So it's like you see what you want to see, and it's not real anyway. Mm. I like that. You know, like you said, the bridge doesn't really have a traditional guitar solo, but there is some guitar in there right good opener but then it just kind of ends oddly and again that's kind of a theme to me it's like they just stop playing it they don't fade it out they don't have a wailing guitar solo at the end it just kind of ends and it's not the only song they do that on well and that could have something to do with you know i think we were looking at hidden city and choice of weapon were both done by bob rock they've Mm -hmm. got somebody else here his name is tom I don't even know how to pronounce his last name. D-A-L-G-E-T-Y. I don't know who this person is. Apparently, he's pretty young, mm-hmm. but he's worked with Ghost and he's worked with the Pixies and a couple other people. So you can definitely see how, you know, this is where I think the producer kind of puts their own signature on this. It definitely does not sound like the last two records. No, and maybe it that's doesn't. Maybe that was his hand on the helm saying, you know, we can just kind of fade it out and then go to the next track. Maybe so. Yeah. And obviously you want a producer to help you in that in that way to guide them. It's it's definitely different than Bob Rock. It's not bad. Right. But it's it's definitely different. Well, I'm wondering, too, if since they had so long in between records, whether that was a conscious choice. Because I know on Ceremony, they wanted Bob Rock, but he was busy with Metallica, so they had to use someone else, Richie Zito, I believe. Mm-hmm. And so, but at this point in time, I would think that it, with that many years in between, they wanted another sound. They wanted to go with someone else other than Rock, would I be think my you, guess. I think you're right about that. Yeah, I, I, I would guess that that is true. Yeah. And they consciously wanted to do something with different soundscapes. So, right. And they're doing it. Although, get to the second song, A Cut Inside. This is very old school cult to me. Of all the yeah. songs on the record, this is the one that fits in with their catalog the easiest, I would say. Okay. Okay. Yeah. It, it's nice. It's got a nice opening riff. It picks up a little bit of speed uh, in the middle. There's a solo, but not, you know, not super intense but Mm -hmm. it's still this is the first time you're hearing a solo on the record yeah and i think it's probably the best solo on the record big fat guitar riffs from billy some some guitar hero stuff on this one Mm -hmm. good drums from tempesta i'm wondering if they're singing about themselves in their own career here because you again you can interpret what ian does a lot of different ways Mm -hmm. when you hear no heathens in heaven no sweet surrender outsiders forever the ghost of our lives that could be them talking about, gosh, we were close, but we don't make it, do we? 
Well, yeah, yeah. But it, but at the same time, you know, for a lot of those bands that are that were around at that time, they're still they're still here. They're still making they're still I, I would say relevant. I mean, I couldn't I couldn't get over the number of people at that show in Orlando that were not to, they weren't just showing up for something to do. They right. were they were there to see the band. They were psyched. You know, everybody was kind of in the same mindset. I would think that they, even though they, there were bands that probably sold more records than they did back in their heyday, I think they've weathered the storm a lot better. Well, I think so, but my opinion is biased because I'm a pretty big cult fan, and I know you are too, and we experienced a lot of cult memories together, at least listening to their songs, if not seeing them live, you know? But, uh, but I think if you went back, if you took, I don't know, what was the big, 1989, and you went through all the, the charts there, probably most of those bands that were charting aren't even around anymore. They've broken up long since. They're, they've gone on to do other things. They're working, you know, Or they're just a legacy act. Like, they right, just correct. go out and play songs from the 80s. They haven't really done much. Well, even I if mean, they did, they don't play it. You know, look at, I mean, look at, uh, I mean, I know Def Leppard just put out a record. When was the last time Motley Crue put out a record? Okay. When right. was the last time Poison, who were on the big stadium tour? I don't even know if they, they've put out a record, but the same thing. They know no one, they want, people want to hear the hits. That's it. Right. And I don't want to hear anything from Poison, new, well, old, that, or in between. That is true. <laughs> That's just me. Uh, but you know, but here, this one actually ends. It ends with the big riffs. It has an mm -hmm. ending. So this this could be my favorite on the record. Uh, th this this might be the high point of the record for me. I don't know. I, I've probably only listened to it about ten times. You know, maybe after twenty five, it'll be different. But on tenth listen, I think that's that's up there. That that's okay. that's that's good. What do you think about song number three, Vendetta X? Ooh, I like this one a lot. Mm -hmm. I like this one a lot. This goes this goes back to the what I was talking about before with the witch. They've got a real club like, you know, backbeat track in there. They do, don't they? And it works. It really works on this one. Yeah, I mean, it starts with some ringing guitar to begin with yeah. and, and throughout really, but then you got Ian's haunting vocals, but then you throw in a little keyboard synth action mm -hmm. kind of underneath so billy's guitar is out front with the synth kind of underneath it or behind it and it does sound good and it sounds a little more i don't know if you use the word contemporary but you're right you could hear it in a club instead of just like a a rock bar or something like right. that right and 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 it's it doesn't sound like when you explain it, it doesn't sound like it would work. But when you listen to the track, it does. They can put funky stuff like this in there and it and have it work in the song. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm trying to figure out the lyrics. Is it political? Talking about Vendetta X, because we go back to the lyrics because it's like, by any means, be fine. Rip your flesh, steal your mind. We're going to take it back. We're going to take it. Take back control was basically the Brexit motto. That they put oh, on okay. billboards and stuff like that. And they'll talk about vendetta by knife, by fist, by hook, by claw, sucking on a dirty blade, fighting love over hate. And I'm wondering, is this a political thing? I don't know. Again, you know, it's probably just about a girl, but it's it's hard to know because Ian is so good at blending all those different things together and having it have double meetings. And look, I, some people want the artist to tell me exactly what does this mean when you said this? I like it when the artist doesn't tell you that. It's it's for you to interpret on your own. There was a great interview with, with Neil Peart from Rush, 
And they were talking about, they were asking him something about that. And he was, and he, you know, hey, do you mean blah, blah, blah in this song? And he was like, hey, if that's what you heard, then that's for you. Yeah, I, I like that. No, I'm not going to tell you what it is. I'm mm-hmm. going to leave it up to you. If that's what you think it means, then, hey, good for you. Yeah. I wonder, does, does, I know, I know Billy lives in Southern California. Does Ian still live in England? Does he still live in England? Because I don't then, know. Yeah, if he does, then perhaps that Brexit thing is more of what you're talking about because, well, you kind of lived through it, but you didn't really have a kind of a, you didn't have a dog in the fight. You didn't go one way or the other. But I think it was very divisive for the people there. And yeah, maybe that's what it is, is him railing either his opinion about it. Maybe so. I don't know. I'll tell you one thing I wish they'd done more of, though. Towards the end, uh, mm-hmm. Because basically the uh, the chorus is Ian singing Vendetta, and then there's music, yeah. and then he says it again. But towards the end, there's this one part where he goes, Vendetta, and then he sings, Hungry Ghost Knocks at My Door. Then he sings Vendetta and says, I don't fear you anymore. I kind of uh-huh. wish they'd done that throughout the song, to be honest with you. Throughout all the chorus breaks, they could have done that. Okay. They just chose not to for whatever reason. And I think that that's a better chorus break with those two couplets in there after the word vendetta but i'm not the producer they didn't ask me to produce their records (laughs) that's just that's just my take on it i think it could have been better throughout if they had done that okay but then you saw but look i still like the song overall i absolutely do but it does just kind of end on a billy note it's it's not that long it's not a four minute song so he's like and then it's over Kind of weird. And I think, yeah, and I think that I think that is a choice, uh, a production choice. And I wonder too, at this point in time, how how involved they are with producing Ian and Billy, or do they just say, "Hey, we trust you, we want you to do this, do your thing"? Because I was looking at this, and I didn't even see because a lot of times it's produced by the band and so and so, so right. I didn't see any production credits from the band on this one. Yeah, and well, you, it's got to be a collaboration, right? Especially right. for these guys who've done it. This is our sound. We've been doing this for 40 years. The two of us owe this. So you've got to be on the same page. But you've also got to trust this person that you've hired and collaborated right. with, right? To say, okay, guide us. Tell us what we need to do better. Tell us what we're missing here. Uh, so it's it's always it's always interesting to see how that relationship works. And, yeah. And how you come up with the, at some point in time, you have, if you're going to hire this person to produce the record, you have to let them do something. If you're, if you second guess everything, then it's just, it's not going to work. So yeah, they hired him for a reason. They wanted him to put his signature on this go. Right. Exactly. So, so, but that brings us to the big first single, I guess we should say. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, uh, the Give Me Mercy. Correct. What did you so think? Because you heard this before you bought the record. So. Yeah, it, it, they, they kind of, they teased it. They put it out and I and I, I liked it. This was the the first track on here where you're, you're getting more of the traditional Duffy riff. On mm-hmm. this. You, you could tell, like, if I didn't tell you anything about this, you just listen to it. You'd said you'd say that's that's a single or the single off the record because it definitely. Song. Yeah, correct. It's, yeah. It sounds like something that you would play. You could play on the radio as a single track. And I believe, you know, they did, you know, uh, they, they started off with it, you know, and 
that it would see. And that came out maybe, did we get flashes of it in August? Certainly September, because the record came out October the 7th. Yes. So we yeah. definitely hear it in September. Mm-hmm. And they had a video for it and everything. They had a video for it, and you can kind of see the band in it a bit. It's not just a band playing. It's it's a story uh, a bit of one. Yeah. It, kind of going back to maybe the Dark Ages where there's witches and things like that. That's what, uh, it, that's what it looks like it's alluding to, yes. Yeah. So, you know, obviously it was the first one we heard from the cult in a long time. So we were excited about it. And I was just thinking like, okay, this is this is good. And and it does sound like classic cult. And the first couple listens of the album, it did stand out to me, probably because I had heard it. But it, it also just, it's got a great Billy riff. And the lyrics communicate to me pretty clearly on this one. Mm-hmm. Give me mercy, love will find you. But he doesn't have the face melting solo that I know you're usually looking for, Jackson. I know, I know. But like I said, I've got to, this is what they want to do now. And I have to accept that. And that's fine. I wonder if they've got any kind of like, because you were talking about before, they do EPs and stuff. I wonder if there's anything else out there that they'll release later off of this. I have to keep my eye out for it because I kind of feel like he's, the, the, I wonder if there's something that maybe didn't fit the album in the, in the parameters of this that's uh, a little more hard rocking. I've got my fingers crossed. But I mean, again, if, if this is what you're going to give me right now, I'll take it. There is a solo. It's very understated for him, but it's yeah. there. And so I know I do. I like this track. And there's not a ton of lyrics in it. It's kind of a first verse. There's a second verse. And then it's all just give me mercy. Love will find you. Give me mercy on new language. But some of it, watch the butcher's knife in his trembling hand, the end of a species, the shimmering veil. Again, that could be political. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. But yeah. It's, and, and- it seems that in this era that we've lived in here, the, the Trump and the Brexit, US, UK era, that every band has some kind of political take it seems yeah. to me <laughs> yeah. and and it's it's hard too because like i said i don't i don't have anything to do with brexit i have no clue but apparently it was very polarizing very. to people over there so you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt i guess the same way you flip it around if you're living in you know europe and you see what's going on in the united states it's the same thing. It's it's just craziness. Mm-hmm. And, you know, how could you live through that? I don't, I mean, you got to do what you have to do, but I don't know. It's, it, we are living in very strange times. And yeah, it, music has always been something. I mean, when you go back and look at the, the music of the 60s and into the early 70s about how people were, they were commenting. I mean, you can listen to the songs, but then you kind of listen to the lyrics. And you're like, whoa, hey, wait a minute. Some, there's something, they're trying to give you a deeper message. And who knows, maybe as this goes on and kind of history plays out, will you get a clearer picture of what he was trying to say? Maybe so. Maybe so. And I hope we will get some B-sides or bonus mm-hmm. tracks or something like that down the road, which they they were notorious for in their younger days. I don't know right. if they, they still are. I, I, I don't like to comment politically on this show, but uh, you know, the U.S. is pretty much a mess and a very divided place. <laughs> But Britain is worse. The UK is much worse, in my opinion. And I live there, so I can say that. You mm. know, they, they had the same queen for seven years. And then she passed away. Charles comes in. Okay, you know, I, I, I don't know if anybody was waiting for Charles to take over, really. <laughs> I don't know if anyone has anything against him. Mm. Um, I think it's better that he's in charge instead of his brother who was hanging out with underage girls, well. a certain American banker, whatever he was. 
Allegedly. Yeah. Uh, he was allegedly a banker. He was allegedly a thief, man. I mean, I, <laughs> whatever, Epstein and the Prince. But anyway, and then, you know, they had this Boris guy in charge who was kind of a clown, but still, you know, Britain's always been this model of stability, not only for Europe, but for the world. Right. So like, okay, we're going to lead us through Brexit. We're going to get this guy, Boris, to do it. And he's a clown. And then he has to be kicked out. They have no faith in the, him. So they put Liz Truss in at the very end of Queen Elizabeth's reign. For she's, like a week and a half. Yeah, she's inept. You know, I mean, like, I, I was prime minister almost as long as Liz Truss was. <laughs> was 44 days or something silly wow. like that. Then they bring in Rishi. And now I think he should have gotten the job in the first place. But it doesn't matter to, to a large extent that the damage has been done. The pound has dropped. You know, they've totally screwed up the economy. There's just a void of leadership. And meanwhile, there's, you know, the Russians are doing all these crazy things. And it's hard for people to take the U.S. seriously when the guy who lost the last election is running around. I want it. I want the election. <laughs> Getting a bunch of crackers to believe it. Right. <laughs> You are the people that can be fooled all the time, according to Abraham Lincoln. Trust me, folks. <laughs> this is Sonny Hollywood Pooney, and you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Why? Somebody has to. Anyway, let's move on to stuff we actually are qualified to talk about and would like to talk about. There we go. Fifth, uh, I mean, fifth track on the eleventh cult album here, "Outer Heaven." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ethereal spiritual stuff can kind of give way here. So you got a little fake guitar to start, right? But it builds into some synth, and mm -hmm. that gives way into big drums and killer work from Billy, right? Right, correct. I did. I have. I have uh, a note on here. Is this one that rocks the hardest on the album? Question mark. I think the answer is yes. Maybe. Yeah. Well, maybe. Okay. All right. There's some good stuff in here because he does some good note bending. He pulls out some signature big riffs on this song, so I like it. Around the 140 mark, there's kind of a, it's a solo-ish. It's kind of a mini bridge that has a bit of a Billy solo on it. So I like mm. that. And I think that's what you're talking about. Like, this is more rock and it's got more Billy in it. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. And and I think that it, it's, it, is would this be considered the second side of the record? Because if you got eight tracks, I would imagine this this would be basically side nope, two. Nope, yes, that's the, right. Mm -hmm, yeah. You got the LP. Right. Correct. Um, so yeah, a nice way to start the second uh, the second side of this. And what does he say? Embrace the outer heavens. And it, yeah, it's kind of a this is more this is more like ethereal than the than the stuff that they've done before on the record. Yeah, I like it. Driving drums, and so that's yeah. that's rocking. Good really work. But at the end, I don't know. I just feel like it's a little too synth synthed out. Okay. To me, that's that's why it's not the hardest rocking compared to say, give me mercy or cut inside. I'm not saying I don't like it. I do like it, but it's just, it, it's not signature cult because of that synth. Now I'm not bagging on the synth. I like that they're putting these sounds in there. Mm -hmm. It's it, it, It'll grow on me, you know, but I don't know. I, I just, I just wanted to point that out. It's, it's awfully synthed out. Is it too synthed? I guess that's a matter of taste. Okay. Okay. And I wonder too, you know, basically this record is, is for us, is brand new. So I mm -hmm. wonder too, you know, once you get, once you get a year or two under your belt, you know, you kind of, you don't listen to it for a while. You come back and listen to it more. Does it change? Does it grow? Are there tracks where you say, eh, I didn't really like this at first, but now I do because it, especially stuff that has 
less guitar, more synth on it mm-hmm. for us. I think it takes a little bit longer to get into. Yeah. And I've only been listening to it for two weeks, really, because mm-hmm. I didn't get it on October 7th because Amazon in uh, the Netherlands wanted 23 bucks for it, whereas Amazon in the U.S. wanted 10 and I was coming to the U.S. So I'm like, mm-hmm. why spend the extra 15 bucks? I'll just get it a week later. Right. So but I, I really like the record overall. And I don't know, as he sings, as all life fades, we have to go. We've all been behind you. Is that a thing to say there are ghosts and angels and spirits among us who have been guiding us all this way? Mm -hmm. Or is it more about the band? Like, we've always been here and and we've been listening. I don't know. Again, his stuff is, is not just straightforward, and that's what makes it good. But I always like to try to give some understanding of what maybe he was trying to get across there. Right. And again, that could be something where the more you listen to it, the more it will, will make sense to you. And this is a challenge for us, right? We generally review albums that we've listened to like all of our lives or we listen to for years and years. Right. We chose this album because this is one of our favorite all-time bands. And if we can help promote it, we'll do that. You know, we mm-hmm. want more people to be cult fans. We want more people to go see them live. We want more people to buy their records. So you're right. You know, maybe 10 years down the road, do I appreciate this song more? The synths don't bother me. You'd think that a guy on a big prog journey wouldn't, <laughs> wouldn't mind the synths, right? But, but it doesn't always fit into every song. And I'm not saying it doesn't fit. It may just dominate a little bit too much, especially towards the end there. But it, but it is nice that they are trying something. There's something a little different on this one. It kind of, it, it makes it, you don't want all the tracks to sound similar. So that's why it's nice to have something a little bit different to break it out from the rest. I agree with you. And I would like them to maybe make an album every two years for the next five years or something like that in this vein with these guys. They would probably disagree with you because now they've blown themselves out. (laughs) But that would be nice. I don't know. And that's the thing, too. Like, you know, you make this record. There are eight tracks on the record. You didn't just write eight tracks, I wouldn't think. Right. So, you know, what what else is in there? Can you put something out? Maybe you could put out an EP. I mean, at this point in time, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't have to, you're not a slave to big record companies. You're not a slave to, uh, you know, rock radio airplay. You can do whatever you want. Exactly. So, if you've got some other stuff, put it out. Let's see. I'd love to see it. I would too. So we'll we'll see about that. But uh, moving on to Knife Through Butterfly Hard. So this is a kind of a change. This is a mm-hmm. little different, right? Because mm-hmm. it's slow and almost kind of acoustic for most of the first two minutes before you get the big riff right before the two minute mark. Right. Yeah. It, this this is the, you're slowing it down. You've got the you like you said you got the bass, the acoustic, the piano comes in on the second verse. I, I had slow and plodding at the beginning mm-hmm. and, and there, there's something, there's something he's doing with the bass. It's almost like they, like they're like it, it hits the top register and then fades out. Like it's, it's, a, it's like a phase or something. That's kind of a cool effect that's going on back there. And then you're right. It, it picks up there at about the two minute mark and you get into the solo and it sounds like instead of, instead of really crunching at it, he's more just kind of sliding around. Yeah. Kind of floating, which is not the signature Billy Duffy sound, but I, it fits on this track. No, I, I, my note was, okay. Then around four fifty or so Billy starts doing his thing, but he's not face melting. He's yeah. more a mature guitar hero adding texture and emotion to these kind of new sounds they have because there's a lot of underlying yes it's his riffs on top of it starting at two minutes 
but there's a lot of underlying keyboards and stuff and synth below it. And I like it. I like the, mm-hmm. the synths and stuff like that on there. I mean, did you like this one? Would you rank it high or would you say, yeah, this is all right? I, you know, that's that's the other thing, too, is I'm, I'm kind of reserving most of these only because this is still so new for me. I mean, I like it. It's it's a little bit slower. Is it my favorite track on the record? I don't think so. But I mean, that could change. That could change with multiple listenings to it because there's a lot going on in this song too. This isn't this isn't a straight ahead. You know, I hear the riff. Here's the chorus. Here's the solo. Now we're done. Yeah, no, no doubt. And again, is this about a rock star falling to earth? Is this about Jesus? Boy fell out of the sky, crashed into the ground. Witness gathered round to see my bloody crown, to see my shattered crown, shapeless like a shroud who was covered in a shroud. You know, there mm-hmm. could be some Jesus in here. Yeah. The pain that true love brings. And, you know, we reach toward the truth. Oh, magnific- magnificent love is pure. So who knows? Who knows with Ian? What's interesting about this song is it, there's kind of a jam at the end and then it fades out. Mm-hmm. But then it fades back. It never goes away completely. Yeah, right? yeah. You think you think it's over, but no. Uh, yeah, I said. Yeah, I, I had that exact same note. Fades out, then back in again. You know, it's like, oh, you thought it was done. Here it comes back for more. But then I kind of thought the more was going to be a little more of a jam. But then it kind of just ended. Well, yeah, that's right. So yeah. first of all, I'm not sure why they did this little reprise, and it was like, okay, we're going to fade this out, like we're we're fading it to go away, and then we right. build it back up. Okay, now it's back, and then it's over. Yeah, <laughs> they do this on every damn song. Basically, <laughs> it, it's just kind of odd. I'm not saying it's good or bad. It's it's definitely different. For the most part, I like the way they're using these new sounds. I'm not sure how I feel about the songs just stopping, <laughs> just ending. You know, <laughs> and we're gonna have another one of that. We'll get to it. I liked Impermanence, the seventh track, a lot. I, a, a lot of times, once you get, and I know this is a short record, only 35 mm-hmm. minutes. A lot of times, if you're going to there's eight tracks on the record. Once you get to number seven, because you want to close out eight strong, seven might be the weakest track on there, but I don't think it is. Uh, I think the haunting guitar is a signature cult and some killer bass from Charlie at the start. I I, I had a note here. It sounds the, the, of this record. This sounds most like love to me. Like this could have been, you know, it, or it influenced by, you know, maybe a, a bonus track or something. It definitely has that sound to it. It does in the '85 era. Yeah, it, it sounds a little lovish, which means you know I'm going to like it. Right. But it's like the sound of the tempo come up from the chorus. It's mm-hmm. not. It's not rare for the sound to come up for the chorus. But the tempo even seems to drive up a little bit. Now, I don't have a metronome to see, oh, they went from 120 to 132 or something like that. It just yeah, felt that enough. way to me. Yeah. But then, and then it goes whoop, back down for the verse, you know. I don't know. I, I just I like to see them not quitting at the end of record. But the thing is, they should be quitting because, you know, they're only half an hour in at this point, right? <laughs> But you're right. A lot of times the, the track before the last track is is kind of like a just a dumping ground where you need something. Well, we'll just put this in here, just pad it out. Right. No, I don't think it's I don't think it's like this at all. I have slow, but it still rocks, darker, but it's it, it's and it's got kind of the signature uh, Duffy riff. Definitely. And it's got, you know, Ian's weird, spacey lyrics, you know, is it broken and beautiful, so graceful in flight, the blood of roses. Fallen and risen, the bones of this life. Poetry. <laughs> Don't know what it means, but it's poetry, <laughs> right? Love Ian. Ian. Ian's had his ups and downs. I think if Ian's got his act together now, and I hope he does from an alcohol and drug standpoint, mm-hmm. he, he should be able to enjoy himself because he's not 
he still has a signature voice. He's still singing very well. He's not stretching it too much. He's, he's certainly not overworking it. He sounds like he's supposed to sound. Is he happy? That's the question. And and it's it's tough too because it's always been Asbury and Duffy that write all the songs, right? Yep. But Duffy, I don't think Duffy writes any of the lyrics. I think he he does the music. So you know you have to keep coming up with these poignant, thought invoking lyrics. That's got to be kind of tough for somebody, you know, even forty years into the game, still coming up with stuff that makes people like you and I say, "Well, does it mean this or does it mean that?" Exactly. And again, I'm sure he's got a whole bunch of stuff that he's written that he hasn't recorded or you know, just notes from different places. How do you get that to fit into the song? I don't know. I'd love to talk to him about that. That's the thing. I mean, you might write a killer poem, but that doesn't mean it makes for good singing. You know, it, right. it doesn't make for a good song necessarily. And a song may only have two verses and a chorus, yet somehow mm -hmm. be six minutes long, right? It, so it really only has about 20 words of the whole damn song, you know, like <laughs> 20 different words, you know. Uh, but anyway, you know, so yeah, I, I liked... That one, I liked it better than the than the last song, Under the Midnight Sun, which is, you know, they they picked the song or they picked that title for the title of the record. Obviously, this song must have meant something to them for them to name the record after it. I don't know. I feel like it this is a this is this is not my I, this is not the best way to end the record, I feel like. I don't know. What do you think about the song? when I first heard it. And even now, it almost kind of sounds like they're going for like a Bond theme with the strings and everything. I'm mm -hmm. like, this this could be like a movie score or something. It is kind of a it, it's it's slow and it kind of it's not the way that I would have chosen to end the record. I would have done something that rocks a little harder on the way out, change it up for something in the middle, something like that. Yeah, it's it's not my favorite track on the on the record. But again, it's so here's the tough part. It's not my cup of tea. So if I listen to this more, will I like it more? I don't know. I don't know. And I, I do think that Ian has written a lot more, a lot more lyrics on this one, or not maybe mm -hmm. not a lot more, but more lyrics, a little more varied. I think it is more of a poem. Yes, starting off with strings and the killer bass beginning. Charlie Jones, he he really is an MVP on this record, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Um, I just think they like the turn of phrase and, you know, around three minutes into it, then it really starts to put some of that Billy guitar flavor on it. And there's a lot more so around the 420 mark, but then it's suddenly over. Like it's not one that, that has this big crescendo or whatever. It just kind of ends. And then that's it. The record's over. And to me, I was digging the record so much. And then this is a downer to me because it's the lyrics might be good, but it's not a rocking song. And the song just kind of ends, and then that's it. The whole record's <laughs> over. You, you can start over if you want, but that's it. There's your 30, 35 minutes and 20 seconds or whatever it is. So I wonder, too, was this one of the ones that, like, they had, I mean, it's it's the title track of the record. Did it have to go on there? I, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know why they would have put it in the end, because you're right. You want something. You want kind of a statement piece at the end, and this is not it. So make it track five, make it track the, one yeah, on side right. two, which is buried on the CD, kind of in the mm -hmm. middle there. But look, I mean, look, they've got, he's got some great lyrics, you know, actions of the violent, the mortal fabric decays, no empire, just a wasteland, a song of crips and rage from a bird within a cage, all sorts of great stuff in there, you know, what, with creatures of the wild seduce and feel with soft, warm tears, threw myself at your feet, push back bittersweet, an outsider, a martyr. 
a tiger at the dawn. Great stuff here, right? It's just the, the song is not that great to match it to me. Interesting. Hmm. I don't think the song sucks, but I just think if these are hmm. the best lyrics, and I feel like they love the title, they fell in love with the yeah. title. Yeah. Because that's why they named the record that. But I mean, they've had two singles. So 25% of the album is, is singles, and this isn't one of them. And I'm guessing it won't be. Probably not, only because it, it's it's kind of, it doesn't, it doesn't lend itself to being a single. This is definitely an album track. Uh, yeah, I don't know why they be interested to see how they put this one together. So that's my take. I mean, I I liked it. I, I think it's in some ways it's a return to form. In some ways it's pushing in a new direction and putting those things together. I give them big time credit for not just going back to Bob Rock. Say, all right, let's mm-hmm. let's try to recapture the glory days because they kind of already tried that. So let's just take this where we feel. It ought to go. So I give them big credit for that. There's some real standouts on here, but I like it. Yeah, I like it. I, I like it. I would, I would say the same thing. I think this one is going to get better as time goes on, as, as I get a little more miles with it. I'm excited to see them. I mean, I know they're on tour now. Uh, they've got dates up until, I think, November, which would make me think that's probably it for a while. They'll take you know the end of the year off. Right. They'll come back in the beginning of the year. And I, I mean, I'm hoping they come back and see them again. Because they, I think they started eh, probably around when did this come out? October. So maybe in September dates they were starting to play some of the stuff. Okay, I didn't hear any of this live, so I would be excited to, to see them come back and play this stuff at least. I doubt they'll play the whole record, but they'll play selections from it. Live. They'll play a few. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. They're going to tour on it. Well, let's watch on setlist.fm because they do have about ten West Coast dates in November. So we'll be watching yep. that. And then hopefully they'll do something in, in 2023. I got to be for them about their website, I mean, quote unquote website. You got All a right. cult official and it's like, okay, hey, under the midnight sun, you know, out now, check it out. Here's the video. Here's, you know, and here's our, where you can find us on social media. And then basically that's it. There's no, if you go to the home, there's not much of a home there. It's just, they might have tour dates and that's it. Yeah, I think that's they, there's a there's an advert for the new record. I think there's a merch store you can go to, and then yeah, there's the tour dates, and that's it. That's it. There's no history of the band. There's no bio. Right. There's no links for whatever. It's you know, there's no hate. Here's why you buy other albums or all that kind of stuff. It's it's kind of weak to me because I, I know that websites aren't the thing. Social media is the thing, but to me, mm-hmm. the website is the storefront where you can get everything. And the bands that have killer websites, I think they do a lot better with the fans. But anyway, look, glad the cult are still doing it. Glad they're making new music. Glad you got to see them earlier this year. And I hope that a lot more people will in the US and Europe in 2023. I think if you if you check it out, if you get into this, you'll like it a lot. They are a band that, at their heart, they are a riff-based, chunky, straight-ahead rock band. They do some other stuff like this, but I think if you get into it and you kind of let it wash over you, you'll like it a lot. If you're a cult fan, you're going to like this. If you yeah. if you liked Love, Dreamtime, Electric, I think you will. If you only like Sonic Temple, maybe you won't love this, but mm-hmm. there'll be parts of it that sound familiar to you. Yeah, yeah. I would say definitely give it a try. You will not be disappointed. That wraps episode number 102 on the Colts' Under the Midnight Sun, their first record in eight years, their 11th overall. 
And it's not their best, and it's not their worst. In some ways, like I said on the show, it's a bit of a return to form. In some ways, it's pushing new boundaries. And I think if you're a Colt fan that you will like it. All I know is the Colt are a fantastic live band. They have a fantastic back catalog. And I encourage you to go see them. I know they're out west in November, so you should definitely go check out the shows. I know they're incorporating some of those songs into their set list. Because I've seen Billy Duffy's Instagram page, and he is showing us some set list pictures from along the way. No spoilers if you want to check that out, but if you do want to know, check it out. Support the Cult. They're an all-time great band. Jackson's number one favorite band of all time, uh, and I'm just glad that they're still going, quite frankly. There's some real gems on there, classic Cult stuff on there, but also some stuff that kind of pushes them in a different direction, and I think that's cool. I think artists should continue to adapt and grow, and the Cult should be no different. So with that, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? You have got to let us know. You email us, uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com. You can also tweet and DM us at ugly underscore werewolf at actionjack72. Check us out on Instagram. Check us out on YouTube. And check us out next week as we will be welcoming another fantastic guest to the show. No spoilers yet, but this is someone who is a member of the Pantheon podcast family. We appreciate all the love given us by Pantheon Podcast and all our fellow Pantheon Podcast podcasters out there. We do have a new app if you want to go check out more than just The Ugly American Werewolf. You can download the app, at least in the U.S. and North America, uh, and check out all the mini podcasts. Of course, thank you greatly to our sponsors, rarevinyl.com, where you can receive a 10% discount just by using code podcast on all your purchases, and they ship all around the world. So check out rarevinyl.com. So thanks for tuning in, rock and rollers, and to all of you rock and rollers all around the world. Until next time, be cool and stay safe. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.